Hi, everyone. Welcome to Church Online. If you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, you may have seen me baking cookies with my kids, usually around Christmas time. My boys absolutely love snickerdoodles. I mean, who doesn't? And you may look at these pictures and think, oh, wow, what a sweet family. Now, what you don't see is the chaos behind the scenes. Like most social media posts, you only see what I want you to see, and it can paint an unrealistic picture. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to deceive anyone. I really do enjoy these moments with my boys, and we love snickerdoodles. It's just what you see isn't the whole picture, and my boys can attest to this, but what usually happens during the cookie time is we start baking cookies, or at least we get the idea and we get excited, and I ask them to help gather the supplies, and then we begin to mix the ingredients together, and that's when everything goes downhill. You see, I'm a little bit of a clean and control freak. I like things nice and neat. I like things done the way that I want them done. And when young boys are making cookies, clean, nice, and neat don't usually happen. Cookie mix is spilled everywhere, and eggshells make their way into the mix, and, and cookie dough is flying, and, and the kids are wiping their hands on the walls and on their clothes. And before long, I end up saying, okay, thank you, boys. Dad will finish it. I take control of the chaos. And after the cookies are done and I've cleaned the mess, then I take smiling pictures to post. And so if you see Christmas cookie pics this year, you know what's really going down. Now, that's pretty petty stuff in the grand scheme of life. A clean kitchen won't matter in eternity. But if my urge to grab control is this strong during minor chaos, imagine what it's like during real chaos. Maybe you can't identify with my need to have a clean, controlled kitchen, but I bet you can relate to my desire for control, especially regarding the major things in life. Like when there is chaos in our marriage, workplace, with our children, or with our finances, or just in the world. And like me, when these things begin to spin into chaos, you likely do whatever it takes to try and retake control. And the energy spent on this can feel life-draining. Well, today in our Finding Life in the Psalm series, we will be in Psalm 97, which has a lot to say about control. The title of this message is Put the Cookie Dough Down. And verse 1 starts off this way. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. The New Living Translation says that the Lord is king, meaning God is in control. Therefore, we should rejoice and be glad. Every person, everywhere. The psalmist gives us a description of how life should be. When God is in control, the proper response of the earth 
is joy. Why? Verse 2 says, Cloud and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. You know, I I grew up in San Diego. It was always 70 degrees and sunny. It wasn't until I moved to New England that I experienced real storms. When clouds and thick darkness tell you something powerful is coming. That's what's being described in the verses I just read. Power. Why rejoice when God is in control? Because he is powerful. His power is like a consuming fire. You know, that's one thing I did experience in California. You know, fire actually isn't a huge threat in Connecticut, but when a fire starts in the brush of California, watch out because fire is in, is, is powerful, even unstoppable at times. And what about lightning? How do we react to an intense lightning storm? Well, usually we're like, wow, because of the power that we see in the sky. And I love verse 5 where it says, The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. For some reason, I love mountain climbing movies. When people climb Everest or K2, and I ain't never going to climb the mountains myself, but I love the movies. And in these movies, one thing is clear. No matter how experienced you are, or how strong you are, or how well-resourced you are, The mountain must be respected. The power of the mountain is able to humble everyone. And yet the psalmist says these mountains of power melt before the king. The psalmist also writes righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. You know, that's real power. In a fallen world like ours, it takes true power to always do what is right and just. And so again, why rejoice that God is king? Because he's powerful enough to keep everything under his sovereign control. He's a king that rightly deserves to be on the throne. And so we always have reason to celebrate when we see him on the throne. Now, here's something that can help us better celebrate. The the book of Psalms can be divided up into five books. And in book four, which begins with Psalm 90, an interesting transition happens. You see, in Psalm 89, we read, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Apparently, something has gone wrong. And Psalm 90 adds, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. What's happened at this transition point between 89 and 90, between book three and book four? 
Well, a time of chaos has begun. Everything in this moment feels out of control because the Jewish people have been taken captive by Babylon. Because of their constant sin and rebellion, God disciplined them by removing them from the promised land to spend 70 years in captivity. And Jerusalem, the city of God, is completely destroyed. And Israel, the people of God, are once again slaves under the control of an evil and powerful nation. In fact, listen to how God describes Babylon to the prophet Habakkuk. He says, look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. In book five, which includes Psalm 97, our psalm for today, we find a context of a captured people who may have doubted whether God was still in control because they were experiencing chaos under a powerful and cruel master. And yet, Psalm 97 speaks truth and life into the chaos. Circumstances may be chaotic, but God is still in control. Not only that, but he's more powerful than the earthly powers creating the chaos. Those powers will burn up, tremble, and melt before him. They are nothing compared to God's power. Therefore, people of God, rejoice. And for everyone listening, this should impact you. Because we too live in a chaotic world where it appears that evil reigns. But let me assure you, the Lord is still king. Therefore, don't panic, but rejoice. Verse 6 says, The heavens proclaim God's righteousness, and all the people see his glory. The sense of the passage is ultimately, all creation knows. God is king. They know he is in control and their proper response is to give him praise. Psalm 19 once says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. All creation has surrendered to God and taken their place under his lordship to give him praise. However, there is one part of creation that has chosen not to take their rightful place. Psalm 97.7 says, All worshipers of images are put to shame, 
who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Who are the worshipers of images? Who are those who boast in worthless idols? Well, it's us, humans. Strangely, the part of creation that refuses to take their place to give the king glory is the part of creation that God has infused with the most glory, mankind. Genesis 1 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are the only part of God's creation given the image of God. That means that we are the most special part of the world. Out of all the created order, we are most like God and have the ability to know God the most. And yet we refuse. Why? Because in our sin, we don't want God as our king. We don't want him in control. We want to be in control, but this is a bad idea. While it may be okay for us to be in charge of Christmas cookies, we have no business being in control of the throne. Here's what happens when we take control. Number one, we put ourselves on the throne of God. We set ourselves up as king. And initially, maybe that sounds like a good idea to you, but I guarantee it is not. Again, we have no business being in control. That's not our place. We were created to be dependent on God. John 15, 5 says, yes, this is Jesus speaking. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. And look at this part here, for apart from me, when, when, when I'm not on the throne, you can do nothing. And some of us get this. We know we have no place being in control. We understand our place is to be radically dependent on God, on the vine. But for other of us who are listening today, this doesn't really make sense. We, we think apart from being dependent on God, we can do nothing? I mean, come on, really? Nothing? Well, let me give you an example of why we shouldn't be in control. Because another thing that happens when we take control is we may choose to put other created and even lesser things on the throne that belongs to God alone. Verse 7 says that we make idols. Now, an idol is anything we let control our lives. And while this used to be represented by wooden figures that were maybe sometimes covered by precious metals, let me tell you, it's not limited to that. Governments can be idols. Money can be an idol. Ideals and value systems can be idols. Anything other than God that we put our trust in is an idol. And I want us to really consider how dumb this is. The prophet Isaiah says it well. He says, how foolish are those who manufacture idols? These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own God, an idol that cannot help him one bit? 
All who worship idols will be disgraced along with all these craftsmen, mere humans who claim they can make a god. They all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame. The blacksmith stands at his forge to make a sharp tool, pounding it and shaping it with all his might. His work makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with a chisel and plane and he carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedar. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes bread. Then, yes, it's true. He takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. He says, ah, oh, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his God a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says, you are my God. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect why? this? It's, it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a god? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Do you see what it's saying? When we worship idols, we give control to something that is completely dependent on us to exist. How dumb is that? And it's these kinds of decisions that prove that we should not be in control. Again, idols don't need to be wooden figures. So don't think you're exempt if you're not worshiping a wooden statue. Humans create things like political systems and money, and then we worship them. We make them our idol. We put our trust in them. That's the same thing. Things we allow to control the throne of our heart are idols. And again, all of these things are completely dependent on us to exist. So how can that be our God? And here's the thing. When verse 7 says, worship him, all you idols, it's not validating the existence of other gods. It's basically saying the created things that you're worshiping as God, one day those things, along with everything else, are going to take their proper place and bow their knee to the one true king. When we take control, we worship things that will one day worship God. As Paul put it, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And so when you think about this, why not worship God now? Why not take your place now? And so right now, take a moment and pause and ask yourself, 
who is in control of my life? And hopefully your answer sounds like this. Because Psalm 97 verses 8 and 9 says, Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. People of God, this is both an encouragement and a challenge to us. Remember, the time period of this psalm is when Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem, is burned to the ground. And the daughters of Judah, or the people of Israel, are slaves living in chaos. And yet it says that these people rejoice. And this teaches us something very important, something that's relevant to us today. It teaches us that God is not limited to physical locations or circumstances. He is always in control and present wherever his people are gathered. Zion is alive and well even during the Babylonian captivity because God is still on the throne and his people are still gathered in praise. This is important for us to get today because our world is changing. What the church looks like is changing. Some people are online. Some people are in churches. Some people are in homes. Some are free and some are not allowed to gather like our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Here's the point. No matter the worldly circumstances, if God is on the throne and the people of God are in his presence, The proper response is praise because we know our good God is in control of our days. And his good promises, no matter what the current circumstances look like, his good promises will come to pass. And so we don't need to freak out. We don't need to grab control because it's circumstantially messy. God is in control. God knows what he's doing. And we can trust him. We can be comforted and rejoice because our powerful king reigns. And so how can we respond to this today? Well, I believe the final three verses give us some practical steps. Verse 10 says, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. The first way that we can respond is to turn from evil. You know, many times when evil spins our world out of control, sometimes we respond by surrendering to it. Kind of like a, if you can't beat them, join them mentality. Or, and this is a weird one, when evil creates chaos, Sometimes our response is to numb ourselves with more evil. I mean, how many times do we get overwhelmed by the circumstances in our lives, by the chaos in our lives, and our response is to run to our addictions or watch evil as an entertainment so to, to pass the time to get our mind off of all the craziness? How does that make sense? I don't know, but this is often our response. It's often my response. 
And so one way we can respond today is to stop running towards evil, to turn away from it. Instead, we need to practice turning towards our king because he is the one who will preserve our lives. He is the one who's going to save us. He is the one who keeps us safe and is always in control. Now, the second way we can respond is to take our place in the kingdom. When life feels out of control, don't take control into your own hands. That's not your place. We aren't meant for the throne. Our place is to be relationally dependent to the king. And the king's name is Jesus. And all Jesus is asking us to do is to take our place in his kingdom, to receive what he has for us. I read John 15 earlier. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Therefore, if we stay connected to him, if we abide in him, if we are dependent, if we are willing to take our place in his kingdom, he promises to give us everything we need. And that's what verses 11 and 12 in Psalm 97 are talking about. It says, light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. The king will literally give us everything we need to flourish in this life. All we need to do is receive and rejoice. Second Peter says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. And so if today you need to find life because your world is out of control in a major or a minor way, turn from evil and take your place in God's kingdom. Put your faith, put your trust in King Jesus who died on a cross for your sins so you could find life as it was meant to be. Open your hand, open your heart, and receive all he has for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are king. We rejoice and are glad. We praise your holy name. And God, forgive us for all the times that we have rejected you or tried to take your throne. That throne belongs to you and you alone. And so please help us to right now turn from evil, both outside of us and inside of us, and help us to receive our place in your kingdom by first putting our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We want to do that today. And then, Lord, we receive the Holy Spirit that you promised to give us so that we may have the power to follow you all of our days. Because, God, we desire for the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart to be acceptable to you, our King, all the days of our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us for Church Online. If this was your first time 
joining us, fill out a Connect card. We would love to say hi to you and even send you a gift. Also, if you have any prayer requests, would like to know more about the River Church, or you have decided to follow King Jesus today, maybe you want to talk to somebody about how you can receive all that Jesus has for you. We want to talk to you. We want to hear from you. And so there is an easy way to contact us, beginning by going to our website, riverchurchct.com, or you can follow the links in the comments below.